buyers are hesitant right now. I mean, will there be a recession? Won't there be a recession? Will borders close again? Won't borders close again? Like nobody knows the answers to that. Everyone has an opinion, <laughs> but the sheer uncertainty is what causes people to delay their buying decisions. That's super cool. You definitely need to check it out. I'm, I'm excited to have you on and, and talk about sales. Um, I've had a few people um, on the podcast just talking about sales is a topic that I, I really enjoy talking about and, and just hearing how it's evolved. So I really appreciate your time today, Colleen. Hey, my pleasure. Awesome. So I guess we can jump straight into it if, if, if that's fine with you. But yeah, Colleen, I guess please tell me and the audience a bit about yourself um, and, and a bit about your background. I think I first initially found you on LinkedIn and that's sort of how I became aware of you and your content. But please share with the audience a bit about yourself. Sure. I'm happy to. Uh, you know, I come, I always laugh as a sales consultant. I say I come by my um, my profession pretty honestly. My dad, um, when I was growing up, was in sales. And so, you know, I saw him as a salesman and as, and as a sales manager. I made sales calls with him. Um, I was one of those kids that when uh, we had to sell whatever it was, uh, I think it was everything from chocolate to poinsettias to wrapping paper to spices, you know, to raise money for band camp or or our soccer camp, I had to uh, do that door to door. <laughs> so I started selling at an early age and then um, started my professional career in sales after my university degree um, and continued through a couple of different industries. I started in the life insurance um, business, then I moved into technology sales and decided to start consulting um, in 2001. I guess it was probably right after that first tech bubble burst. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I did some contract work for a couple of other organizations and then just decided um, based on where I, I live most of the time, which is Ottawa, Canada, that we really needed um, some part time sales VP help and that um, the companies, there was a lot of small startup companies that really needed the expertise in selling, but didn't have sort of the, the requirement for a full time sales uh, leader. And so that's how I started uh, my consulting career. Interesting. And what type of consulting specifically? Like, would you come into a startup and help build out their sales process? Would you talk to their existing salespeople and, and make their sales tactic better? Um, what specifically would you help with? I do all of the above. So I have definitely worked with startups where we have literally helped them create job descriptions and hire salespeople and build sales presentation material and value propositions, even helped with pricing. Um, and I work with some of the you know larger organizations in the world, Fortune 5 companies, where we are training their sales teams. We might be training their uh, resellers or their distributor networks, helping them roll out um, sales processes and methodologies. So, I mean, it really sort of runs the gamut. Sometimes I get engaged um, just with the sales leaders on helping them write compensation plans. And sometimes I'm working, you know, hands-on with the sales team uh, with their sales tactics. Very cool. How about when it comes to selling your own consulting services? Has it all been inbound? You create content, people reach out to you through a form, then you follow up <laughs> and you jump on a call with them, see if you can help their problem. What's, what's the process like for your own consulting program? You know, that's a great, that's a really great question. And it's always a funny one when you ask that to a sales consultant, right? Because obviously like, I love to sell. <laughs> when I started my practice, um, 
21 years ago, it was a lot of outbound work. So I relied on my network. I did a lot of networking, um, mostly back then. I mean, in 2001, 2002, it was mostly done in, in person at networking events. I made a lot of cold calls, spoke, you know, at a lot of association meetings, free, um, just really spent a lot of time networking and did, I would say, you know, 90% outbound work. Um, but at the same time, um, I really did build my list and start a newsletter and, you know, jumped onto LinkedIn and started a blog and all those things as early as I could. And, you know, I think I, I can't I can't pinpoint the actual date that this happened. But eventually what happened in my business is um, I became, I guess, uh, you know, sort of almost a content marketer to some degree. And then, you know, like you found me on LinkedIn. Um, that's where clients are mostly finding me, whether it's on LinkedIn or my blog, or um, they leave their current companies and take opportunities with other companies and they take me with them. So I've had a lot of that kind of business. Um, I would say now, you know, 95% of my business is um, inbound, maybe even higher or and or repeat business. Wow, that's amazing. Congratulations. How long Thanks. has that journey been to get to a point where it sort of flipped and it went from outbound to inbound? I don't know. That's a great question. I was trying to think about that as you were as you were talking to me. I know that if you had asked me this question 15 years ago, I would have felt like it's never going to happen, right? Like it takes a long time. You, you, I was describing this to another um, consult early, um, a consultant who's new in her career. And I said, you know, it feels like you're going up a roller coaster that just never ends, right? You're putting out content and you're, you know, networking, you're putting out content and you're doing videos and you're doing more videos and you're doing more newsletters. Um, but it just kind of happened. I, you know, I would probably say it's been, um, it's probably been it. 10 years, I would say it, it, I, I would guess the transition started, um, you know, 10 to 12 years ago. Um, and a lot of that, you know, it's just, I think it's two things, you know, we put out a ton of content. Um, and I also think that the advent of so many content sites, so many media sites, um, being friendly for business content, you know, all just kind of started to bubble to the surface, what, like 12, 15 years ago, whether it's, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, uh, YouTube, all of those things have really helped in that way. Interesting. Over the last three or four years, I've been sort of teaching sort of, I have a YouTube channel. I teach people how to create online stores, how to do drop shipping, e-commerce, run Facebook ads. And I have a course yeah. and coaching program that teaches people how to do so. And every time I'd go to sort of these networking events with sort of a lot of medium-sized businesses, a lot of corporate people, a lot of sort of um, sort of C-suite sort of um, employees, um, they'll ask me, yeah, so what do you do? And I'd say, you know, I'm an online consultant. I sort of teach people how to build online businesses. And then maybe I'll re-catch up with them over the next few months and they'll be like, what exactly do you do again? I'm like, you know, <laughs> I, I help people start online stores. I show them to build um online e-commerce stores like oh can you help us with our own social media running ads for our own products yeah and and they're still sort of unsure what i do and i'm like okay i have all these people that i'm just sort of sharing everything i know with um i haven't really sold any of these like people that i've met through these networking events um and then when i do try to be like all right maybe i can sort of help you guys build out a team that um, hire people from the from the Philippines, build out a content team where you guys can consistently put out content, three or four pieces of content per day um, for, yeah. for your brand. 
and then I'm trying to piece something together and, and this whole sales process is it's it was it's so messy compared to the simple someone's watched my YouTube video booked in a call with me yeah here's the course <laughs> it's you know three to five K this is what we can help you with and then when I've tried to make that pivot to maybe more of like a higher ticket product work with medium-sized businesses work with more bigger companies it just got really messy any tips there yeah so i got some early advice i i don't know who said this to me um so if you're listening and it was you <laughs> i apologize for not giving you the um the attribution on this but they said you know if you position yourself as someone who helps big companies, then little companies or mid-sized companies will easily find you and want to be part of that. But if your content is all provided um, to help small businesses, then it gets hard to, to close the big businesses because they don't see how you apply and you're constantly trying to fit things in. So I've always taken the approach of, um, of showing, talking about uh, what I do and my solutions more centered around like a big organization. And I find because startups or small businesses want to emulate that, then they're like, oh, so tell us what these big, huge companies do and we'll pay you for that. But the other way around is doesn't fit very well. So the way around, and you're talking about two things, right? You're talking about a size of a, a different size of customer, but also slightly different content. And so what you'd have to be able to do is talk on your YouTube videos or other places about your expertise and examples and what you can showcase so that these businesses can log on to YouTube and say, oh, hey, that's what he does. And that's what we need help with. Interesting. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. And what has been the main platform that you've been really doubling down on, Colleen, over the last year or two? Uh, LinkedIn, for sure. Um, we get, I mean, I, I think, I think all of our inbound leads that come from social media, um, come from LinkedIn. So it, I mean, it's still the biggest business platform for, for larger organizations. And it's not just that it's not even just that clients find me there. It's that, um, you know, podcasters find me there, media finds me there. And so then they are broadcasting my message, um, you know, associations find me there and then hire me to speak at their association meeting. Or I'm, you know, I might be connected with people who are running events that are free um, that I speak at. And so it's not just, it's not a direct correlation between, you know, my LinkedIn profile and a customer, although that does happen. Sometimes it's um, an indirect connection. I, I thought this was really funny. So I work with very large organization in North America, um, you know, on the farm equipment side, global company. And I've been doing business with them in North America for three or four years. I have videos all over their platforms. Um, I've spoken at conferences. And then out of the blue on LinkedIn, I got an email from a director in Africa saying, hey, we want you to come over and do business with our dealers and our guys in South Africa. And I just assumed it was because they had been connected through the North American channel and they didn't even know. Like, honestly, they had no idea. He said, you have, you're doing business with North America. Can you tell us what you're doing? Like, I'm speaking at, you know, major dealer expos. I've been, I have videos on your platform, but you know, they did, they just didn't know different regions. And so he found me completely independently. I mean, it helped that I was able to communicate this, but I find it, I find the platform so interesting in that way because people just consume these bite-sized information. And what I often find then is when they do approach you, um, they've had 
they, they can be consuming your information and interacting with you for such a long time that they're sold before they even get you on the phone. Wow. Tell me about growing on LinkedIn. What's been your process like? What's your goal with the content you release? Um, how have you been sort of creating content on LinkedIn? <laughs> um, with, I mean, I do have a team who's helping me with this, so I'll be completely transparent. I don't have all the answers because I don't do all the work. I know that the goal is engagement. So we use a variety of different types of um, of content. So we use, I do LinkedIn lives, which can be like 45 minutes to an hour, sometimes with a guest, sometimes alone. We post short videos that are one to two minutes long. We do polls, we do short posts and we do long, you know, like almost like blog posts. And so I just think it's the, it's the mixing up of all of the different content. And then what I do do on LinkedIn myself, um, besides obviously the, the content for the LinkedIn lives and all the videos, I mean, the content's all mine. They, they take care of the posting is I go in and they send me, um, you know, uh, let, let's say a poll has been posted and a few days later I go in and I'll comment on all the comments and I, you know, I ask questions and I share and I engage with people. So I work on the engagement side um, after some of those posts have been created. And I think that that's really what drives so much of the feedback is we're very active. We don't just set a post up and forget it. We actually engage with the content and engage with the people who are engaging with the content. That's super cool. And do you sort of have any call to actions? How do you go ahead and sort of bring these, this sort of audience and sort of have them come to your website, learn about your services? How do you sort of take them to that next level? Yeah, I do a, a couple of do it a couple of different ways. I mean, if if you're engaged with them and they're asking questions, you know, I often will be direct and say, "Is this something that you want to take offline and you know have as a conversation?" Uh, we have calls to action in not every piece of uh, content we put up, but in some that will just say, "Hey, like visit us at Engage Selling, or for more information, go here." Um, you know, my LinkedIn lives, there's always a lot of calls to action, um, people to engage with us on other platforms, to ask questions, to stay in touch, to buy my book, <laughs> you know, so, but not every post has a call to action in terms of wanting to learn more about me, because I find that's too salesy. If every time you rent content from me was like, Hey, join my newsletter. Hey, come and see me. Hey, do this. Hey, go there. Then I would feel as a potential consumer that it was just sell, sell, sell. And is your, all your content very sales oriented and teaching people about sales so that you can attract those type of people? Or have you been creating more broad content on being a female entrepreneur, business, etc.? Generally pretty specific. I don't do a lot of work on entrepreneurial um, side. Um, you know, there, because there are very few female sales leaders, we do some of that content. You know, I do some mindset work, just, you know, success mindset, but I would say 95% of the content is sales skills. Interesting. Yeah. I think that's sort of a big problem I had. I think I was creating content that was too broad. I wasn't really niche down and really talking about e-commerce, talking about Facebook ads and getting into the nitty gritty and things. And I think just because I was scared, because when I would do those type of content, it would not connect with majority of people because the Facebook advertising space is very niche. So it would get much less impression and engagement. Oh, interesting. So I guess it's sort of like just a long-term play. Like I have to niche down, do it for a long enough time to slowly get the algorithm to understand that, hey, we're looking for these type of people. Yeah. 
I think so. You know, I, I mean, a lot of it is trial and error. You know, honestly, I believe that. And um, my uh, my business mentor, Alan Weiss, has this great expression that I love. Um, it says um, he calls it volume over accuracy. And what he means by that, and I don't mean to imply for anyone listening that he's talking about lying because that's not what it is. But what he means is, is we've got to get a body of work out there. And um, just because you you know, you post it today doesn't mean that you even believe it um, a, a year from now, right? Like I've got a chapter in my book, my first book that came out seven years ago on how to create, you know, an ideal buyer and all that. And then in my book that came out this year, I actually debunk that whole thing and say there's no such thing. So his point in volume over accuracy, uh, which I I live and breathe, is when you have a thought or an idea about something in the moment, just get it posted, right? When you're 80% ready, just go. Don't worry about, will this live forever? Um, you know, don't over edit it, just post something. If it's a minute, if it's 30 seconds, if it's four minutes, I mean, I'm talking about video there, just do it. Um, and you're always better to have, you know, five or six posts a week than one that you think is the right post. Now, Colleen, if you're speaking, if, if someone watching this is a consultant, and they've sort of, they're just getting their feet started. They've sort of maybe worked 10 years in their field and now they want to sort of transition and sort of start teaching what they've learned. What's your biggest tip? Should they learn how to do outbound and build out a maybe a, a sort of DM messaging sort of sales process or should they go straight to content marketing? What would your biggest advice for consultants that are starting out? Uh, yeah, I think they have to do both. Um, so I would... Um, I would definitely go direct to anyone they know, right? So they've got to they've got to reach out to their own network directly and let them know what they're doing, ask for referrals, you know, secure business meetings, but they also have to be um doing content marketing because they they're they're not going to build, I mean if they want to grow beyond, you know, one or two contracts, they're not going to do that on the backs of their current base. They have to get beyond that base and the only way to do that is to get your knowledge, your expertise, um, your superpower out there, you know, across all of the media. The other thing, and I give this advice to sellers all the time, um, and I had to take this advice um, myself um, this year, is uh, you have to embrace all the media types. You don't know where your market is going to be and you have no idea what um, where people are consuming information. And so, you know, you might say, I hate Facebook, but if you're you know, if your people are on Facebook, you need to be there. If you, you know, if you, if you're not on LinkedIn, but all your buyers are there, you need to be there. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm now also on TikTok and Reddit. It took me a number of years to get there. My team, I fought with my team ferociously on those and much to my surprise and chagrin, <laughs> some of my biggest customers have absolutely fantastic TikTok pages that they use, like, you know, John Deere's and the Chevron's of the world. And I mean, there's great companies and great people who work for those companies. And I'm finding this is this just cracks me up. So I have a friend um, uh, in Ottawa who is a sales leader. And she knows, she follows me on LinkedIn. I mean, we're not like super close friends, but I see her a couple times a year. She follows me on LinkedIn. She knows of me. She follows me on Facebook. She might even be one of my newsletter subscribers. 
But I just found out from her that it's my TikTok videos that she's been forwarding to all of her sales GPs. And I've, I've only been there a few months and I'm just like, I can't believe this. If they end up hiring me because of the TikTok videos, my team is absolutely going to murder me for not being here earlier. But it's just funny. I, I think it's because they're short. They're really to the point. They're super easy to transfer. Maybe her boss is on TikTok and I didn't know that. And so that's what she's using to to get my information to her bosses who are decision makers in her organization. Funny, hey? <laughs> As I'm speaking to sort of more sales consultants that deal with, you know, bigger companies and higher ticket contracts, what I'm learning, it's it's all about those touch points. Like you're sort of touching them on TikTok and then LinkedIn and then they're forwarding this video. You're doing it over a long period of time. You're checking in, you're following up and you're just creating yeah. as many touch points as possible. And that's something that I'm not too knowledgeable about because in my space and i don't know maybe it's changed in the last few years but when you're selling anywhere from one to ten thousand dollar sort of ticketed programs you're sort of yeah. going for that one call close you're trying to you spend a lot of work get them to book in that call and try to sort of get something locked in on the call whether it's a yes. commitment whether it's a deposit or even close the whole amount but based on what i'm hearing you can't really play that game at a higher level no, no, because there isn't, uh, for most of my clients, I, well, I shouldn't say that, I, you know, for, for a lot of my clients, it's not a one-call close, right? I mean, they're selling um, equipment or software that is, uh, you know, I don't know, um, anywhere from 30 to 30,000 to $3 million. And so there's multiple touch points and there's multiple um, people that have to be engaged, right? So you need to be influencing and communicating five to 11 people in that sales cycle multiple times. And they use your, they use your content, your social media often as a, a, a check, right? Like a reputation check are, you know, is what you're saying over here the same as what you're doing with us. So it's a, it, you know, it, the all, they all flow together. <laughs> let's just say. And then I don't know if the times have changed, but I am finding that even now at the one to 10 K mark, the one call closes are starting to get really difficult. Like it's nearly people are wanting to think about it. People are wanting to get off the phone. People are wanting to check out options. People are now considering, Hey, with this budging, what if I just spent that on trying to figure it out myself or putting on ads, even the low ticket range, the closing process seems to be changing. Is that something you've sent as well, Colleen? The closing process is changing? Um, or the sort of the, the one call close is starting to become harder and it's no longer working as it mm. did three or four years ago. Well, I think it just depends on what it is that you're selling, right? It's harder um, if you're if you're making cold calls for sure, if people don't know of you because um, it's a it's a fairly risky marketplace right now. People people are less likely to buy from people they don't know. So it's not difficult if they've called you, right? And they say, hey, I saw this online. This is what I want to do then or this is what I'm interested in because they've already by mere fact that they've called you or sent you an email, they already have developed some level of trust. So, so if your if your approach is inbound, then a one call close is still possible. But I think you have to be patient with prospects. If your approach is all direct outbound, then it's going to be very difficult because the tolerance um, for cold, pure cold callers right now is pretty low. Mm. And 
is that a cyclic thing where it goes through like let's say in 10 years time it's going to get really hot again or is it always going to go on a downward trend I have no idea. It's been going on a downward trend for years. It's not to say that it can't uptick, but I think the more information that's out there online, the less likely people are to take a call from a stranger and buy something because they want to do their own research first. They want to see, they want to know that, I mean, it's hard to get people on the phone even right now, right? So I think that as more information becomes available, and people are used to making their own decisions. Um, the studies from Gartner are showing that we are seeing right now increasingly um, high numbers of people who want to buy without a seller being engaged. Pre-COVID, it was about 33% of buyers said, I want a sellerless experience. Post-COVID, we're 44%. And that's because we're now used to buying online without anyone engaging with us. Um, a whole host of things we didn't think possible previously. And so that number just keeps going up. I can't see it turning around, but maybe we hit a tipping point where no one believes anything on the internet anymore. And so <laughs> they only believe cold callers. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you noticed have a, the, the inbound leads? Have you like, I've, I don't know, maybe I just need a bigger sample size, but I'm starting to feel like the inbounds went from like, Hey, like, Andy, like, what are you offering? How can I work with you? What's the price? Like, I want to get, st I want to work with you as soon as possible to like, Hey, like, I just wanted to jump on a call to learn what you offer, hear about what the price point is, and then make a decision about it in my own time. Yeah. Is that a shift you've noticed with inbound leads or is it just me? No, it's definitely a shift and it's not just inbound leads. The shift is coming because of the dynamic in the marketplace right now. People are hesitant to make quick decisions. They still feel there's an element of risk. They want to make sure they're making the right decision. Um, they maybe lack the confidence to make that decision, especially if they're new. Um, if they're just starting a business, like maybe they've quit their business or been fired or was laid off, you know, and so they're just trying to figure out the best way forward. Um, so all of these things, and we're seeing in all sectors, um, big business and small business, that decision timeframes are getting longer over right now. And that people are concerned. The most sophisticated sellers I work with right now are currently looking at their pipelines and planning for this year and saying, okay, what if my cycle time moves from 71 days to 90 days or 90 to 200 days? Like, what do I, what is my pipeline, my, my outbound and inbound pipeline have to look like in order to manage against that risk? Because buyers are hesitant right now. I mean, will there be a recession? Won't there be a recession? Will borders close again? Won't borders close again? Like nobody knows the answers to that. Everyone has an opinion, <laughs> but the sheer um, uncertainty is what causes people to delay their buying decisions. Interesting. One thing I'm sort of trying to understand more is tell me a bit about what sales people mean by sales cycle. So when it goes from 60 to 90 days, does that mean that technically over of a big sample size you can close everyone over a long period of time because i always thought that hey if someone doesn't close on that call with you you the people who jump off and say i think about it you might be lucky to close 10 percent of those people and 10 percent of those people would actually come back to you and actually show up to the second call but i've never thought it in a way where those other 90 percent would eventually close over a long period 
of time? Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's hard to define a single way, um, but generally it is over a, you know, over a pipeline. Um, because if you think like most of my clients ha- take, it takes multiple days to close. Like we meet with you, we understand your needs. We come back, we have some additional questions. We present some ideas. We see if they fit. We present some more ideas. We meet some more people. Um, we get a sense of your budget. We learn some more about your organization. We put a proposal together and then we close. And that process could take 30 days, 60 days. Um, you know, if I'm thinking about some of my uh, some of my clients who sell, you know, contracts like I, a client that sells um, uh, industrial lubricants, right? They sell to power plants. Power plants only buy when they do their shutdown so that they can um, do their maintenance on their turbines. That sales cycle can be an entire year because they've got to get everything in place, and then someone has to make a decision. Yes, we're going with you and then we have to wait for the shutdown and then we have to <laughs> move forward right so there can be you know in those cases those are long sales cycles um and it's not that it's not as simple as just saying i asked for the business and what's all the follow up after it's actually all the number of days weeks or months that it takes on the front end getting everything together to get ready to present to the customer now is a funnel more like a sort of parallel or like a V-shaped funnel where you might at the second touch point, you send someone, you give someone tips and then how you can help them and they don't get back to you. So now they're out of the list and yeah. it sort of gets small and small and small. It's definitely a funnel. And, you know, we often like to call it a nail. Like I like it to be pretty severe up the top and to short and to get, uh, you know, as, <laughs> as narrow as quickly as possible. Um, because ideally in a long sales cycle, you do want to um, weed out um, the non-buyers or non-serious buyers as quickly as possible so that you're not wasting time nurturing them and trying to qualify them at the expense of paying attention to your best customers or best prospects, I should say. Mm. Now, how would you apply this to say something that's much more lower ticket? Let's say it's $5,000 for like a coaching package or a, a sort of mentorship or like a course. Like, yep. is it the same thing, but much less steps? Um, I gone from reaching out to a hundred people and having two serious people. And it's just like one step from a hundred down to two. Well, I mean, usually average sales metrics are about, um, it's about a 20% conversion ratio from like someone raising their hand to be interested, um, to a qualified lead, meaning I get them a proposal and about a 30% closing ratio from proposal to close. So yeah, kind of can work that math backwards. Um, you know, on a, on a $5,000 sale, I would argue that the best salespeople don't try to close on the first um, sale. They would get on the phone, have a conversation to find out what the person's needs, um, maybe talk to them about the packages, um, and then offer to follow up and say, you know, why don't I put together a proposal or package for you? And then we can circle back and talk again. Um, and yes, right. Then a week later, you get on the phone, you run through the proposal together, and then maybe you, you know, you ask whether they're ready to move forward. And if they're not ready to move forward, then we ask what the follow-up should be. And then the follow-up would happen after that. What's your thoughts on adding in that extra step? Because let's say you have a hundred people, 20 people raise a hand, you jump on a call with those 20 people, and then you sort of just ask the question, see how you can help them. You book in a follow-up call to sort of show them a package. And already 
maybe three people might have just dropped out and didn't show up to that second call and now you went from yep. 20 down to 17 but you have more serious people and maybe you have a higher close rate which makes up for the people that three people that left yeah like so i mean i think it will depend on the strength of your brand right so a the strength of your brand will be able to dictate how you know a one a one call close um so th that is definitely something that you know each individual coach is going to have to um, navigate i'm a big believer in nurturing leads um i don't like to pressure people i don't think it works and so i think i mean yeah you're right uh, what would be interesting though is if those two people don't show up for a for the second call um how many people aren't buying when you put pressure on them on that first call right now you if you do it right and you say to someone hey um, why don't I put together some options for you and we can walk through those and they say, well, can you just tell me what they are right now? Cause I'd like to make a decision. <laughs> then of course you're going to do that. Um, but the idea is, is that you would put together some customized proposal that said, based on what you said, here's the best ways, um, that we can help you and that you would offer them a couple of different options so that they can choose the option as opposed to you just trying to sell them a single option. Mm. Interesting. Colleen, what's your advice for this sort of this, this shift where a lot of people do need more time? People do have less confidence. You're getting a lot more fear-based objections. Um, is it now all in the follow-up? Is there something you can do more beforehand? What's your advice for this, this change in landscape? Well, it's three things, really. Um, it's build your brand so that more people know more about you so that when they do come to you, they're, um, they're confident in you and they trust you. Um, two, you have to have more prospects in your pipeline. Um, you know, know the numbers and track your 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 rates, your conversion rates. And three, yeah, the follow up is critical. Don't ever let that prospect get off the phone without at least knowing what the follow up plan is going to be um, and agree to what those calls or those emails will look like. Got it. And then I guess it's everything. I was going to say, would you double down on the follow up or the, the content? But I think it's everything. Just go hard yeah. on everything, right? Well, it is. And I mean, the reality is, is if you double down on the content on the front end and more highly qualified people are coming to you, first and foremost, you probably will do less follow up because you won't have to sell as hard. More people are sold already right and it could just be a pricing conversation right this is what it costs to work with us and they either want to they either see the value or they don't but i think uh, like for me i've just found as independent consultants the more work you do on the front end really positioning yourself as um you know as the as the content expert and showing the value that you can deliver to people the less sales you have to do because I did notice three or four years ago, or even like two years ago, it was a lot of sort of money-based objections and those are more easy to handle because you can then figure out a payment plan that works perfectly for them. But now it's like not money, it's, it's more fear or comfort. It's like something else that stopped, even if you broke it down into super easy payment plans or even sort of you half the sort of coaching period and made it half the price, they're still coming up with sort of fear-based objections to get themselves out of it. Um, how do you handle those or, or that situation? Is it now just that's normal and you need to find more people and, and go off a, a larger sum so that the <laughs> lower percentage conversion rate would, would make up for it? Yeah, I mean, you're never going to close 100%, right? And so if you're seeing a lot, I mean, I guess it depends on what the objections are. 
you know, even price-based objections uh, are generally, they don't see the value, right? So you have to be able to show them the value by talking about the return on investment that they will get by the, you know, the added time or the money. Um, and, you know, then if it's a cash flow, there's a, there's a very big difference between pricing objections and cash flow objections, right? Especially with a startup consultant. I don't want to spend $5,000 because you're not worth it is very different than I'd like to spend $5,000 with you, but I can't afford that on my credit card right now, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so, and I see this all the time, even with big businesses, right? Um, we want to do business with you. Um, but the way our budgeting works, we need to, you know, our, our procurement rules are we can only do it in, you know, these chunks, right? Okay, that's fine. So let's break, let's break it into three chunks. I don't need it all, it all up front. That's, that's a cash flow or a procurement rules, but the value is there. You're not negotiating your fee down um, because we've shown tremendous value. So, you know, I think the key is early in the sales cycle, what is it that you're trying to accomplish and why do you want to accomplish that? Why do you want to set up that store? Why do you want, um, how do you think I can help? How much value, you know, what are you looking and um, what will happen when you achieve that? Interesting. So when someone says they see the value, but it's just, you know, $5,000 is quite a lot of money, you know, they're unsure if they should go ahead and just spend that $5,000 trying to figure it out on their own. Um, it's just a lot to think about. Um, it, it's not a, a money issue. It's just like, cause yeah, it's, they're in this weird confused state. And I'm like, maybe I need to do a better job of trying to figure out what their problem is. If it's fear, if it's money, like I'm trying to tie it down to money, but it's obviously not money. And then if it's fear, it's, it's like this weird unsureness. It's, I mean, well, the two are linked. It's, it's that they are unsure that spending the money will get them the value that they want. And either they haven't communicated that value or don't know what it is, or you haven't asked the question on what value. I mean, I, I always, I say to clients, you know, what are you trying to accomplish? We need to hit target. How much is target or how much are you growing this year? And they say, we need to grow by $45 million. Okay. So then when I show them a fee of whatever it is for 45,000, 450,000, a hundred thousand, I say, like, you know, my job is to get you to that $45 million by investing this, you know, even if we can only be responsible for 10% of you getting there, you're investing a hundred grand to get 4.5 million, right? Like that has to be clear to them. And if, if they're not clear on that, then that's when they get into pricing objections or they've, you know, they've talked to, they've talked to someone else who said, oh, I can do it for $2,000, right? And they're just not sure they don't believe or trust that you can deliver the value you say you can. And how do you handle that, Colleen? Like, how do you handle the people that uh, they, they hear what you're saying, but they're not sure that it can be done? Well, there's probably nothing you can do. I mean, short of if they won't believe testimonials or case studies um, and they just they they say we, we don't believe it can be done or, uh, you know, every once in a while I bump into someone says, we've never paid that before. I'm like, well, OK, <laughs> like, I mean, what am I supposed to do with that? We just w walk away. That's why I mean, closing ratios are always going to be, you know, in that. 30 to 50%, right? You're not going to close 100%. And the hardest thing a consultant or a business owner or a salesperson has to do is learn how to walk away from the business and not push too hard. That's beautiful. Last question, Colleen. Over the next upcoming two or three years, I guess, what's your biggest advice for um, consultants, people in sales? Um, 
with the shifting landscape and any last tips as times are getting harder people are not only getting more options because the internet is becoming more knowledgeable but at the same time money is becoming tighter because times are getting tougher yeah i mean i think the advice that i'm giving my clients is that we cannot rely on you know decades old sales practices to get us through um that the buyers have changed the demographic has changed the economy has changed that access to technology has changed and so we need to be constantly looking at what's working now and replicate that as opposed to what was working in 2018 um and you know we have to mitigate against that risk um you know smart sales teams are looking at it and saying okay if my metrics stay the same then i'll need x number of leads but what's the worst case scenario what if closing ratios drop what if people stop spending money uh, or want to spend reduced amounts what if our sales cycles drag out how what does our pipeline have to look like and what do our marketing efforts need to look like in order to be commensurate with that so a lot of risk mitigation planning there That's beautiful Colleen. Thank you so much for your time today. Where can people find more about all this knowledge and value that you're providing? How can people follow you and learn more? They are always welcome to follow me at engagedselling.com, which is our main website. Um you can also find me all over social media. Um you know, on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, TikTok. <laughs> where we uh we share, you know, our videos and our content um on a daily basis. Thank you so much Colleen for your time today. I really appreciate it. I just love how passionate you are about sales. You've definitely had a lot of experience in this field and this this is a, a strong strength of yours and and I love just how authentic and just transparent you are about it and I can definitely see why people want to work with you. Oh, thanks very much. It's a it's a real pleasure to work with our clients and I love sharing uh my expertise with everyone. Thank you so much and yeah this is another episode of the podcast if you guys made it this far thank you so much for watching it thank you so much for your time i really really appreciate it please drop me a, re- a review on spotify and apple i've been reading all the reviews i'd love to get some feedback pointers things i can improve on or, or if you like it please just let me know um and yeah i hope you guys got some value today and i'll see you guys next week with another episode peace